0: Welcome to LaGrange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. So the world is abuzz with talk about TRAPPIST and the seven small Earth-like planets that are orbiting the star. And we here at LaGrange Point are never one to miss a good space story. After all, that's where we take our name from. But this week, we're going to be looking at not only TRAPPIST, but the myriad of other Earth-like planets that have been discovered over the recent, How this works, and what it all means for those astronomers, and us here on Earth. So about 40 light-years away, in the constellation of Aquarius, lies a little star system, and it has an ultra-cool dwarf, and orbiting this ultra-cool dwarf is seven Earth-like planets. They're all ranging in size similar to what we see here on Earth, and three of these Earth-like planets, these rocky worlds, are inside what we call the Goldilocks zone, or the habitable zone, a region which is not too cold, such that water doesn't freeze, and not too hot, such that water doesn't instantly evaporate and boil away. And inside this region, where water can be liquid, we have found three planets in this orbiting of this one star. We call this star TRAPPIST-1, and the th- three planets around it, Trappist-B through to G. And there's a certain reason for this. All of this stems from the name of the installation that discovered it. In this instance, the Transiting Planets and Planetissimals small telescope, Trappist, which is located in Chile, on some of the very tall mountain ranges there, and is operated by a Belgian group of researchers, and hence the name Trappist after the very famous Belgian Trappist monk Beer. And TRAPPIST has been working hard analyzing and collecting data from across the night sky. And in May 2016, a large chunk of data was analyzed, which sort of identified these planets. And then it was later sort of confirmed using some backup other telescopes, such as the European Southern Observatory, very large telescope, and Spitzer, who both sort of dug into this region of space and confirmed that what they'd found there was actually also backed up and validated by their own telescopes. And this is really fascinating because this is seven planets of rocky, Earth-like size, not lots of gas giants, and not too far away. So it's one of the first times we've actually discovered a whole cluster of planets that could harbour life in a similar way to Earth. And so this TRAPPIST-7 are all fascinating, each in their own way. Some of them would be icy snowballs. Others are periodically locked to the star that they orbit, so that one side is incredibly hot and the other side is very cool. And they all have their own unique characteristics. But what we're probably the most fascinated by is the three that happen to lie inside the close-range Goldilocks, or habitable zone. What that means is that, well, liquid water could exist there. And liquid water is what we scientists sort of view as the necessity for life. And if liquid water is present, then there's probably a significant chance that life could occur there. Now, we've been watching this star system since 2016, since we've started to observe and quantify this. And the recent paper published has sort of taken the world by storm because now we've sort of got a lot more detail going on on these planets. Unfortunately, if you want to escape Earth and go visit the TRAPPIST system, it would take a little bit of time it's about 40 light years away so even if we had a super powerful spaceship traveling at light speed it would still take 40 years to get there unfortunately we are only capable of a small fraction of light speed so it would take us even longer which means we're not likely to ever visit trappist but it's nice to know that life out there could exist this is some great work being done by teams of scientists from the European Space Agency from NASA and from obviously Belgium's astronomical group were operating TAPAS So it's great that these scientists have discovered all these cool new planets out there, but how exactly did they do it, and how many others are there? What have we been doing with studying exoplanets? Is it just science fiction, or is there a detailed method behind it? We're going to get into a lot of these details now, and starting off with the history of exoplanet detection. Whilst we've been studying the skies for hundreds, thousands of years, we've also been more specifically looking for exoplanets. Uh, And the first one that we actually had confirmed scientific evidence for was discovered in 1988. And ever since then, we've been refining our methodology and thinking of different ways to actually hunt for planets because it's not easy. In fact, it's very, very difficult. And for a long period of time, we were struggling, maybe finding one or two a year. That all changed once we really narrowed down our methods and ended up with a huge outburst of detections for example from the period of about 88 through to 2009 we'd really only discovered a couple of hundred exoplanets and it was requiring painstaking effort to find each one but from 2010 onwards we were finding not only 100 a year but in some years like 2014 and 2016 we found almost a thousand each time 2016, we talked about previously, uh, particularly with the Kepler mission, where it announced it had literally found double the amount of planets that had ever previously been found up to that point. And so that that's sort of an amazing rate of expansion of planets. And based on the estimates, well, we've got a lot more to go. We've found over 3,500 now at the moment, but current hypothesis assumes that, well, there's about 200 billion stars in the Milky Way. And out of that, there probably would be around 11 billion potentially Earth-sized planets in the Milky Way. And if we want to factor in some other non-Earth-like stars into there, like red dwarfs, we might get up to about 40 billion Earth-like planets, rocky, small, maybe habitable zone planets, in the Milky Way alone. Now, that's just our galaxy. There are other galaxies out there as well, with also potentially having similar numbers of planets. So, there's a lot out there. We've only found three or 4,000 at the moment. And of that, you know, 11 billion on a conservative estimate. So, we've got a lot more looking to do. But this is some interesting, interesting times because the methods that we have for discovering them have now got a lot better. We've improved how it works and we have some good space telescopes there helping us. different methods you can use to detect the planet obviously looking at one with a telescope is you know the nicest way and easiest way to measure you can directly see it and therefore you can say ah yes it is definitely a planet but the problem with that kind of test is that you need to know exactly where to look and without having already discovered through another method that can be quite difficult mostly because unlike stars Planets don't naturally give off their own light, which makes seeing them quite difficult in the emptiness of space. So often we rely on the reflective nature of stars or indirect methods to actually detect a planet. And there's two sort of major categories. One of them is based on timing variations and the other one is based on transit photometry. So let's, let's talk about timing variations first. Basically, when you have a periodic signal, such as a pulsar, which is a big thing that spews off all kinds of crazy gases and radio signals. Um, It's sort of like one of the cool stellar phenomena, like a lighthouse. When something interrupts that pulse, well, you know that there's something blocking it. And that's one of the methods used very early on for actually detecting planets. But the problem is pulsars are very, very rare. So that's not really fantastic. Um, We've also done the same thing with noticing how a star's behavior changed. Uh, either in its movements or um, basically in its wobble or tilt in its orbit. And this kind of variation, we actually picked up a whole bunch of planets through that method. The other is obviously transit photometry. And just like the transit of Venus, a very, very famous uh, astrological event here on Earth, when Venus passes in front of the sun, kind of like an eclipse, except since Venus is so small relative to the sun, not a lot happens, but you can see it really clearly. A similar method where a planet, an exoplanet, moves in front of its star, changing the brightness level by some amount, and that occurs on a frequent enough basis that you can basically identify it that way. There's also some other ones where you look at the very slight changes in light or through gravitational pull of a planet. We call this technique gravitational microlensing, and it does not where you see the planet directly, but because there's a mass in the way, light from another star gets bent towards it that star could be it's the star it's orbiting or one even further away other ones are we can detect by looking at changes in velocity as well as techniques like astrometry as well so there's a whole bunch of different methods we can use to find a planet and we need telescopes to do that now some are ground-based like the european extremely large telescope the very large telescope trappist they're all ground-based telescopes often in places like chile where they can be very, very high on dry air mountaintops with no clouds around, little amounts of distortion from the atmosphere. Best place to look is to be in space. We've got no atmosphere to worry about. And we have several missions up there, like the Hubble Space Telescope or the Kepler Space Mission, which is designed specifically to hunt for planets. And we're about to launch uh, a few more. Obviously, there is also at the moment in space Spitzer and a number of other telescopes But we're about to launch two new satellites. One is called CHEOPS, which is Characterising Exoplanet Satellite, which is going to be launched by the European Space Agency in 2018, which is basically one purposefully designed by ESA, as well as some universities in Switzerland, to pick up and study the nature of planets. Another one is the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, or TESS. and That will launch based on NASA's Explorers program in March 2018. These two satellites will be launched soon, and they'll expand from our already strong capabilities of planet hunting. And we're going to get more and more as time goes on. over our time we've found some pretty incredible planets and planetary systems not only are we content to find similarly earth-like systems where we have a star at the center and a series of planets we've found some pretty exotic ones such as the planetary systems with trinary or binary star systems we've even found such as kepler 64 a quadruple star system with planets so that means some planets orbiting up to four different stars, which is incredible to think about the complexity of the orbital mechanics required. We've seen planets in trinary star systems like 16 Cygni, or binary star systems. We've seen a lot of those like 55 Cancri, and obviously Kepler-16. Then we think about other strange type of planets like we talked about. There's some planets orbiting pulsars, which are these weird uh, lighthouses of crazy astronomical energy and radio emissions as solar energy being launched out of them on a periodic basis. Now, there's actually several planets which orbit these, which is quite unusual. it would be very strange to live on. We found super-Earths, which are things that are larger than Earth's size by, you know, 200% or so. And we found lots of planets in that category as well, such as Gliese 876 We've also found some ice worlds, lots and lots of ice worlds, such as OGLE. And we've also found ocean planets, Gliese 581 is pretty much a planet that we suspect would have an ocean. It orbits a red dwarf star, and we have actually can pick up the cloud cover enough. It's got enough greenhouse effect to suggest that it would retain its ocean, which would be very, very interesting. And all of these sort of go together to point out that their options there across the universe for all the different planet types are myriad, and the likelihood of having one that's Earth-like is actually reasonably high. When you think about the Earth-like planets, what we really want to know is ones that we could maybe get to, potentially. And so there's a list of 26 exoplanets which are pretty close to us, at least astronomically speaking. And 11 of those actually lie inside their star's habitable zone, which is amazing to think about having things close to us. For example, um, which was announced and discovered in 2016, Proxima Centauri, which is the closest star to Earth, has a planet called Proxima B. That's about 1.3 times the mass of the Earth with an orbital period of roughly 11.2 Earth days. Now, it's not quite perfectly aligned in the habitable zone, but it's a good chance. And, hey, it's our closest neighbor. So we're optimistic that's something there. Alpha Centauri, the other close star to Earth, uh, is about 4.37 light years away. And we think we have about an 85% chance of discovering a habitable planet around there, but we haven't actually got there yet. So Proxima Centauri b is pretty much our our best get at the moment. So there's some other planets such as Wolf 1061, uh, which is about 14 light years away. And Gliese 876 and a couple other Gliese star systems 682 and 832 are around the 15 to 16 light years away, which is close enough to be interesting, but just probably out of reach. The sort of maximum ones that we're interested in are uh, pretty much in the 50, 40 to 50 light years away. And that's where sort of Trappist sits. It sits at about 40 light years away. And so, therefore, sort of on the outer edge of where we could possibly get to. But there's some interesting star planets there that we may want to visit, if we could. And when you think about visiting some of these planets, they're so far away that they require a lot of effort. But Alpha Centauri and Proxima Centauri, which we, we know Proxima Centauri at least has exoplanets, Earth-sized exoplanets we could visit inside habitable zones, but they're four light years away. Uh, in 2016, Breakthrough Starshot was, an, was announced, and that's a $100 million space program to develop a proof-of-concept light sail spacecraft and the goal for this program is to get to alpha centauri at about 20% the speed of light which is pretty fast but not unachievable and by using a solar sail it's relatively easy to power and can basically sort of sail its way over now it would take 20 years to get there and 4 years to even tell earth that it had arrived but it would be our best bet of visiting a planet on another solar system. And work is being done on it uh, through a combination of different space agencies working together to formulate the best spaceship concept for it. And there's a lot of technical challenges going into it. But we suspect that this is probably going to be one of our best bets of actually visiting an extrasolar planet. We ourselves couldn't get there, but we could actually send something out there to investigate and analyze some of these planets. TRAPPIST is probably a little bit too far away to reach with this method, but Proxima Centauri and Alpha Centauri are close enough that we might just get there. So keep watching the stars, because there's more out there than we realise, and the chances of finding a new planet get higher and higher each day. Some great work being done by teams of scientists from across the world. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Green Point a host of new planets around Trappist to other Earth-like planets across our universe, and how maybe one day we might be able to visit some of them and find out exactly what's going on there. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.